Hello. Uh, you might remember us. We used to do some podcasts. We are the long leg from the Moreover Podcast Corporation. Uh, we have brought to you podcasts such as Moreover Rugby Podcast, uh, Punching Chat, um, the Long Snap Snapper NFL Podcast, and during the summer months, although there seems to be all sorts of sport being carried out at the moment, um, we like to talk a little bit about cricket. Usually it's uh, me, Russ, um, host of the Mallover podcast, Adam, host of Punching Chat and the Long Leg podcast. Often, well, I say often, often it's just us two, isn't it? It is, and and I quite enjoy that when it's just us two. You know, yeah. Nice chat. Um, All right, and unfortunately, unfortunately for, for, that, uh, for that kind of thing to happen, um, We've got Rich from the Long Snapper podcast, and uh, I might be wrong. Rich, is that is that what your music podcast called? That's correct. Thank you. I wasn't there expecting a plug, but I well, appreciate it. All fifteen <laughs> people that listen to this might, might listen to it. Um, I might be wrong. Got. It's a is a music podcast who where people talk about their their favorite albums and what it means to them, and basically just chat through iconic stuff and uh, yeah. get different guests on. Sounds about right. Absolutely. Perfect. And Hopefully, I'm assuming that we'll upload this one tonight, and for very early tomorrow morning, you'll be able to hear uh, our other guest on here, on there, if Ooh, that makes sense. Interesting. Um, that other guest being um, Stevenish Town's biggest... Stevenish uh, Town? <laughs> thank you very Not much. since 1976. No. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it's just Stevenage now. Stevenage yeah, it was Borough. never Stevenage Town. It was Stevenage Town oh, was before it, it became it Stevenage Borough in 1976. For a long time, yeah. for a long oh. time it was Stevenage Town, uh, and now Stevenage I, I stand, Borough. I stand corrected, said the man in the orthopaedic shoes. I, as I then alluded to Stevenage Borough, following uh, Patrick Jackson's very eloquent response. Um, welcome, Pat, to the long leg debut. Is it long leg debut? Yes, long leg debut. Exciting times. It is an exciting time. Um, Two debuts in a week. I know. Wow, look at that. I, I might get a debut on another podcast soon. You will. It'll happen. Um, the thing let's... is, though, all, all of us, we just appear on each other's podcasts. And with the exception <laughs> of Rich's I Might Be Wrong, which is sort of his own brand, which yeah. I don't approve of, by the way. We're all part of the, as you say, mall over conglomerate. Yeah. And we've all got those sort of similar, quite cool logos that Dougie did at some point. Uh, yeah, the Lensman did sexy. the logos. Yeah. Um, the Moreover Podcast Productions Limited. <laughs> yeah, incorporated. We're not. We're not a PLC. We got no shareholders. Yeah, you can't. You can't sue us. <laughs> can't sue us. Yeah, and we might just go bankrupt into liquidation. <laughs> See you later. Um, but there you go. Um, let's talk about some cricket, shall we? It's amazing um, that live. I mean, live sport being back is great, but I've missed cricket. I've missed Test cricket. Um, I find it incredible um, and amazing that Test cricket is the first format of all the crickets that has been uh, that has been brought back, which pre- pleases all of us traditionalists. Um, first things first, before we get into the actual Test match itself, um, how did you find the broadcasts for either uh, TMS? Or, or Sky, Pat. I'll I'll come to you first as a as a TMS follower, um, as we all are. I know, but I know you're an avid uh, an avid TMS fan. 
Yeah, I listened to pretty much the whole thing on TMS um, and picked up the kind of BBC evening highlights. Um, they, they kept talking about how strange it was to be in an empty stadium, but it doesn't make a massive amount of difference, particularly not kind of first test in a series. Like playing in Abu Dhabi? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, we would have heard the crowd a bit, but it didn't change the format of how they covered the game, and that was still good. The, the changeovers were slightly longer. But I think they noticed that more than we did, because as long as someone's talking, you don't notice what's going on in the background, you know. So Zoltz Cricket just uh, filled in with entertaining, interesting stats and commentary, and uh, it, it all flowed pretty well, I thought. I mean, I've been a fan of Andrew um, for quite a many years. Uh, but Andy Zoltzman really is excellent in that role. I mean, Andrew, Andrew is very much a pure statistician isn't he? he's quite dry obviously the the south african in him is makes it that sort of that way inclined but and i find andy zaltzman brings that element of humor to it as well so it's it's always stats and and humor combined yeah yeah I and mean, you know that's that's uh, a brand i hope to uh, uh hitch my train to really yeah adam you're looking quizzical i've i'm and i'm a big fan of andy zaltzman so he did, I don't know if any of you remember this, he did a series of what ended up being podcasts. They might have been live on the radio at the time. During the Ashes, I'm going to guess five, six, it'll be maybe 2013, 2015, around that sort of time. And they had a load of quizzes. It was like England versus Australia, but hosted by him with all the geeky stato stuff and all his comedy as well and they were phenomenal listen they had like ex-players and it was it was absolutely brilliant disappointing that they never came back just as maybe, a maybe, we, a, should, maybe we should try and find them we'll try and find them on youtube or something yeah they would be yeah be great find if we can i bet it's the sort of thing that the bbc have just deleted and forgotten yeah. about out of out of history out of it, the might, it might not even have been the bbc at the time i can't remember but it was it was superb but well, yeah but big he, big fan of his they've got the BBC. Emma collins podcast to work on so you know that's much more important <laughs> i was going to say if it's the bbc they're always looking to multiply up their infinite number of podcasts so that sounds like it would potentially be ideal yeah it would fit, it would big, fit. anyway big fan of uh, at zoltz cricket um what about Sky? I mean, Sky opened up on... Oh, go on, Rich. So I, I've been only watching Sky. I hadn't really thought about sticking TMS on in the background, which I definitely will do for the next test. Um, I don't think Sky have been doing a, a bad job of it, but one thing that's really been bugging me is the way they've done crowd noise. Is very, very annoying. They have this slight kind of crowd murmur going on in the background the whole time like you would have this kind of background chatter when nothing's really going on in a game but rather than having either just the normal noise and nothing else or a crowd noise reaction that's programmed in it's just this sort of annoying background murmur that's really bugging me i think it was am i right in saying or was it tms who had this discussion because tms had the same thing it was almost like the yeah. it was almost like the Lord's Din, wasn't it? It wasn't mm-hmm. raucous sort of Holly Stand or, or Western Terrace. It was very much the generic murmur that you would get 
around Lords. Yeah. And I guess, you know, maybe that was the same. I mean, I watched a bit on Sky and I watched, uh, listened to a load on TMS and I, I kind of didn't even notice it on Sky. Didn't even know, like, like with the football where you notice the crowd noise. I didn't notice it on, on Sky. You don't notice it between deliveries when players are milling around, but then you notice it when something happens like a boundary or a wicket and you expect to hear... Because you can hear the murmur in the background, you then expect to hear the crowd reacting to what whatever's happening. And because they haven't bothered with that, it's really strange. So there, there were boundaries that were hit. I can think of a, a Ben Stokes thunderous on-drive in particular that I just, oh, in my head, it was just, there's a fielder at long on. Like the reaction mm-hmm. was if he's just, he's just smashed it to long on for a single. Um, but that takes away from one of the glorious strokes of the test match. I think, I mean, I've not been a fan. I mean, this is a, this is a cricket podcast. We'd never deviate from the subject matter, of course. But I, I've not been a fan of the crowd noise that's been artificially added for football coverage. I'm glad you, I, I'm glad you said artificially added rather than inseminated. or <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd said inseminated. Uh, and it's the same here. I don't, I don't see the need for it. Uh, sports broadcasting, the whole... The whole thing is to bring the viewer what's happening at the stadium and just adding artificial stuff to it. It Okay. Maybe it makes it more like you'd expect the product to be if people were there, but it's, it's, you know, it's artificial and it doesn't, it just doesn't work for me. And I, and I, and I'm in the minority on this for football, but for the, the test match, it just, I don't see either do it fully and have crowd reactions to stuff that you've programmed in or there's someone with a soundboard or whatever, however they do it, or don't do it at all. I don't know what the point of the hum was. It's, it's the fact that that hum is just a very low murmur. Like it's almost, it's almost not even much beyond what you would get if you just could hear people shouting from the dressing room or, you know, just, just the people who are in the ground. Like when, when you're watching, I do appreciate the fact that Sky Sports have put the football on two channels so you can listen to it without the artificial noise. And I actually prefer that because it's genuine reaction. But this murmur almost blocks out any kind of, if there was any genuine reaction from anyone who's there. So the great Richie Benno, I remember being as uh, a quote, and I won't quote him directly, just a misheard sort of quote, saying that you know the best way to describe something is, often, is often by not saying anything at all, especially in the visual, in the, in the visual aspect. Um, but when it comes to the radio, for instance, I mean, you've all, and, and on television, you can say nothing at all, but you can still have that gentle din in the background. Um, with the radio, it's a lot more diff- difficult because as we all know, dead air is a crime. <laughs> so, so they had to have something they had to have something going on 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 TMS to to kind of fill those gaps to allow it to flow naturally because you know they can't just continue talking although you know Phil Tuftle does a fairly decent job of just talking for talking sake a lot of the time. That's a fair point. I guess having not heard it without the hum, you know, maybe maybe it would sound odd. I don't know, but you know they they've. I've li- I've listened to plenty of BBC Essex broadcasts from county championship games where I'm sure hardly yeah. anyone there, and it True. seems to work fine. 
and who, whoever said Abu Dhabi, it might have been me. Well, I'm not sure who, before we came on. But anyway, yeah, Abu Dhabi. You see test matches played out there, and you know the the teams and the the TV broadcast people are half the people in the ground. So it's it's basically that. Yeah, and that that doesn't seem weird. No, so I, I don't. But I, I guess it. it's just in this country, isn't it? Uh, what did you, Pat? What did you make of the uh, the two lineups across the uh, the broadcast? So Carlos Brathwaite for the West Indies in in the TMS box, obviously Mikey on Sky, Ebony Rain for Brent. Um, who else was there? Oh, it was Ian Ward. Oh, Nick Nick Knight. Adams Adams a big fan of Nick Knight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of Rob Key, by the way. I like I like Rob Key. I think he offers a bit of genuine insight. Although he didn't play a, a huge amount of Test matches. Um, as, uh, can I can I shock you? Go on. As a as a an Essex man um, who would naturally despise Kent and couldn't stand Rob Key as a player, I think he's absolutely terrific in the commentary box. Yeah. He tells you stuff that you don't realise for yourself. He's funny. He's he's warm. He's entertaining. He is he's everything you want as a commentator. And I think in I'm going to go out on a limb here. He's a, he's the sort of guy in 30 years' time will be an all-time favourite for that art. There yeah, you go. I, I agree. And what you said first for me is the most important thing is he tells you stuff you can't tell or know for yourself and commentary in a number of sports. Don't get that at the moment. Nick Yeah. <laughs> commentary at the moment in you a number of sports. You don't get much of Nick Yeah, is, is really getting to me that I'm like, I'm, I'm sort of on the same page as Doug on a number of these guys. Where it's like, it's just talking. You're just telling me what you're seeing, and I'm seeing the same pictures. Tell me something I don't know. Yeah, that's I, why I like Michael Atherton. I've always liked that about Athers and, and NASA to a certain extent too. Now they both take it in kind of different directions, but those two, especially over the last ten years, have been right at the top of that Sky Sports tree. Yeah, and obviously nice to have both of them there. Um, Bumble wasn't there, of course, who I believe is, joking aside, actually been shielding. Um, uh, So that's as far as I can, as far as I know, the reason for that. Um, Pat, you've listened, I listened to a bit of TMS, but you've, you say you've listened to the whole thing. Obviously, they they don't have quite the same job. They have to describe what's happening. Um, And so unlike a TV cricket commentator, you, you'd need them to, to be telling you what you would otherwise see um aggers has been there um simon mann i think how have i assume they've done their their normal bang up job i would have thought yeah as i say you couldn't tell much difference between this one and any other apart from a little bit more filling as they did change overs because they're all using their own equipment so they have to plug out and plug in as they swap places and stuff but um russ mentioned carlos brathwaite his debut was excellent he brought a lot of very interesting insight and that kind of subdued enthusiasm that you get from some of the um some of the caribbean pundits which was really really good value compared to you know people like uh Tufnel getting overexcited it's a nice foil um in the yeah book, so i enjoyed that i think uh, what what um carlos Braithwaite added was that recency to the west indies um i've lit i've enjoyed listening to Jeffrey Dujon and and the likes in the past, but he gave that real, you know, that sense of knowledge of what's going on now inside that West Indies dressing room. The, 
the knowledge of the players having played with them all, you know, having been part of that squad at certain points of his career. Um, yeah, I, I thought he, I thought he was excellent. Yeah, Go and we, we, you know, we've seen him in the doldrums for a few years, and so it was good to see, you know, his insight on where the improvements have come from and how they seem much more together as a team under the new captain. So that's, you know, uh, that that was very interesting to to have as a, a counterpoint to the game. Rich, yeah, Pat Pat made my point for me. I was going to say that the most of the commentators that we've had from that collection of nations i guess are from their glory years so it's it's great to have a voice that's not from the glory years that's kind of has a different take on west indies cricket yeah i have noticed actually tms uh they've started to revamp i think they've been whether they've been scared into action a little bit by the talk sport rivalry which was never really there they were <laughs> all tms but you know some would say it's still not there now but the um the coverage it was all quite whilst it was always excellent and i always enjoyed it i've never not enjoyed tms some of the people that were involved are always quite uh, sort of old and now they've they've moved in a direction you look at glenn mcgrath for instance being part of the ashes last year you've got carlos braithwaite now you know they're starting to they're starting to move forward with their punditry, um, rather than you know, be be stuck a little bit in the past. I tell you what, that makes me feel old because the natural progression of time, obviously, but Aggers is now the old the old guy in that commentary box since Henry yeah. Blofeld's gone, um, CMJ tragically is gone. Yeah. Um, he's he's the old guard, and it just doesn't feel like very long when he was a youngster. Mm, exactly, uh, it, it's really weird, and it just it's a sobering <laughs> realization. Uh, and, and without without surprise, you know, and without I don't want to. I should just say both Alison Mitchell and Ishigua are both very good as well. Um, and I don't want that to seem in any way surprising. Not that anybody no, of any no. note listens to this, but they are very good. You know, they're they're good commentators. Isha obviously has got the cricketing. Um, experience as well for both Sky and the BBC, the work she does there, and it's you know same with with Ebony Rainford Brent, you know, playing on I, both sides of the fence, so to speak. Alison Mitchell in particular, I think you can. There's a fine art to doing the ball by ball stuff, and like people, not everyone can do that by any means. And it's one thing to be the summarizer or the or the TV commentator and sort of add things, add bits of knowledge, but to be able to describe what's happening. And actually, I think that's what TalkSport failed to deliver when they had yeah. the, had the coverage. Not it wasn't it wasn't terrible. I'm not going to be one of these. Oh, it's TalkSport, therefore it's it's not worth listening to. That wasn't the case at all. But they seemed to develop a habit of not actually telling you what was going on with an individual delivery. Um, yeah, so, something that everybody on TMS seems to be able it, to do. It was always after the fact, not always. I found it was often after the fact on talk sport, you know, they'd be in the middle of a conversation instead of stopping the conversation to describe the ball live, they would carry on the conversation and go, Oh yeah. And it's a, uh, yeah, it's a, uh, there was another dot ball there. It was like, well, Hold on, where did the ball go? Did it go out to mid-on? Aggers or some Aggers will have this fine art of even if they're mid-conversation. Like I was 
I li- did listen to a bit. I was in the car on Saturday, I think, and they were talking. There was a conversation about ninety nine ice creams and where the name ninety nine. It was a classic <laughs> diversion, and yeah, with Alistair, with, Alistair with, with Sir Alistair Cook. Yeah, Remember? with Sir Alistair Cook, and um, but it's it was a mundane passage of play, mm. and yet they're still telling you what's going on. In, but you're concentrating on the conversation, which is fine. But they seem to have this, this, this art of being able to do both without one detracting from the other. Yeah, it's yeah. impressive. And when I thought I couldn't love Sack anymore, uh, <laughs> he is also incredible on TMS. Just, so good. Yeah. And, and he's such, he seems such a, obviously, you know, his, his Bedfordshire farmers and, and all that sort of stuff. It just, he, he strikes you as, as just like a normal bloke, if that makes any sense. Just like real down to earth, loves just loves cricket and likes just being genuinely nice. It's he, he's one of those people that's like, if you had a, a group of mates at school and one of them was just happened to be outrageously talented, but you'd still go down the pub and have a chat and some beers. Like he's that guy for me. Yeah, does doesn't make the big time and turn into an absolute walloper. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's like even people who are famous for being nice people like end up irritating you just because they're too nice. But Sir Alistair Cook manages to even avoid doing that. Like, so I don't know, I don't know how. Yeah, like, there's literally nothing negative that you could ever, ever say about him. Oh, true. Right. I, I think uh, I think we must leave the commentary there. For a, for a bit, leave the coverage there. We've done it. We've done a good twenty minutes on general cricketing uh, commentary. Um, if you do get the opportunity, uh, very quickly before we finish, there, Nick Heath. You know the guy that did the uh, the social commentary on Twitter. Have you seen this guy, Nick Heath, the rugby commentator? When he did, he was commenting on normal life and did all yes. that sort of stuff. Anyway, stuff in his back he's he's yeah. He has got a podcast. It's called Q Commentator. And he interviews commentators, so he's done all sorts of commentators across all the sports. Um, and it's worth a li- it's definitely worth a listen uh, because he, you know, they they chat the art, basically the art of commentary and how people got into it and, and what they think about and how they juggle having somebody in their ear and it, it's fascinating. It's it's really good. So if you do check out uh, to check out that cube commentator, um, <clears throat> right? Let's get into the test match itself then. Uh, Wednesday morning at an overcast Aegeus Bowl on a pitch that was supposed to be very, very dry. England had been there for a little while in their in their bubble. Um, they lined up. I mean, should we talk about the toss first or should we talk about selection first? <laughs> Adam, Adam, where do you want to go first? Well, chronologically, I guess selection was first um, and... Well, technically, but we didn't find out officially. Yeah, about well, they, I assume just to, just to be pedantic. Okay, I assume England made the selection decision before they yeah. decided what to do. Well, I, I'm not entirely sure anyone decided what to do at the toss until the toss. Um, they didn't yeah. seem anyway. But I guess the big thing, the 13. So there was a bigger squad which sort of trained together, and then there was a 13 that was named. And who Wokes and Wokes Broad, Broad. Wokes yeah. and Broad missed out. Um, no one's whinging about Chris Wokes missing out, <laughs> no, uh, especially not you, especially not me. Uh, I, I'm not particularly 
we might not all agree on this. I'm, I was, wasn't particularly upset with Broad missing out. Um, you could argue that Wood and Archer are quite similar, but I, I, it wasn't something that I thought, whoa, that's just wrong. Um, given given that we've got three back-to-back test matches, and I imagine there's going to be some rotation of you know, particularly Broad and Anderson who are getting on a bit, uh, maybe Wood and Archer as well. But yeah, I didn't have a massive issue with that. The toss, on the other hand, I suspect will come to. Yeah, bit, bit um, more angry about that. Selection for for you, Rich. Any you know any anything you you would like to add on that? Um, I just wish we'd selected some competent bat batsman but you know that doesn't seem to be an option right now um <laughs> i'd lo- i'd love to say that we selected the most competent batsman that we have um <laughs> but we'll come I, to that as well yeah i was sort of talking about the 13 rather than yeah or the 11 yeah. from 13 rather than how the 13 were made up which is a different thing entirely well I, we couldn't have done anything else with our lineup batting wise out of the 13 that were selected no, we? no i don't have an issue with them trying out different bowling combinations. I think we're all very aware that Anderson Broad as a one-two is not going to last forever. And at some point, we're going to have to work out where things go beyond that. I'm slightly surprised that Broad was the one they left out if that's where they're thinking, because I my assumption is that Anderson will retire first out of the two. Um, but in terms of Broad missing out, I know he had a bit of a strop about it, but... I also quite enjoyed Stokes' reaction to that being, yeah, good. It, it, like well, the fact that he's still got fire yeah. in his belly. It, was, it wasn't, it was less of a, I mean, you know, it was less of a strop, wasn't it? He was He was on an, an interview on Sky Sports and and it was more honesty. I quite enjoyed it to the fact that he could have just gone, yeah, well, you know, there's rotation and, you know, there's plenty of chances, plenty of games coming up this summer and all That's this sort of stuff. That's not broadie, is it? No, That's it's not. No. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> no, I didn't mean strop as in, childish and petulant it was more just exactly that some players would play the diplomatic tone and just, and just a, be the, like the ironic straight bat yeah which exactly. you never get from sure abroad <laughs> <laughs> um pat what about you any anything uh about selection that you particularly caught your eye i didn't have a problem with it really it's not Certainly, the, the the dropping of Stuart Broad. It's not often you think of a, an England selection as being too progressive. So you know, movement in a forward-thinking direction is something we we should be happy about seeing. Really, I think. Yeah, and uh, well, I'm going to kind of disagree with with you all here because I thought it was a fucking ridiculous decision not to play Stuart Broad. Um, the reason being, you know, I get the progression, I get the pace. They must have been looking at that pitch two, three days out, seeing what what it could do or predicting what it could do based on the... When did they play India there? Two years ago? I mean, they, 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 they seem to be going back, looking back at test matches on a dry pitch in Southampton where Moeen Ali spun India out on the fifth day and they were only chasing about 240, I think. But on that day where they spun India out, or Moeen Ali spun India out, England had the left arm Sam Curran playing, creating footholds to be able to spin him out. Now, if if you're going to expect a pitch to dry out and have some uneven bounce when you've got rain on the first two days, which they would have known, that would have been on the radar, that would have been 
you know, that would have been in their thoughts. Pin, the the picking of two extreme fast bowlers, as well as Archibald in, in those spells, um, I didn't think Wood or Archibald particularly well in the first innings, uh, or particularly hostilely for what the, they were picked to do. So in English conditions... And again, I get the progression. I get thinking of the Ashes in 18 months' time, picking fast bowlers. They've got Ollie Stone uh, waiting in the wings. There's there's another lad that... Um, who's the other lad? That, the quick lad. Oh, I can't remember. Is it Sh- not Shazad? I'm going back a few years. Not, it's not Ajmal Shazad. Ajmal Shazad. I don't think he's knocking on the door. Ajmal Shazad. Who's the... Saqib Mahmood? Saqib Mahmood? It is, isn't it? I don't uh, think he was part of this particular group, but um, I I don't see like Ed Smith came on the telly and he went on TMS and he was talking about horses for courses and we picked a team we thought it was best to win this test match and I can't believe two days out from a test match when you're looking at the weather forecast um, that in any way, shape or form that Stuart Broad isn't one of your best test match bowlers and I'm not having that any team at the moment with Stuart Broad in it as a bowling attack isn't going to be stronger than what they picked it this weekend your your comment about Sam Curran and footholes and Moeen Ali from two years ago um, made me sort of think have they missed a trick there and with Don Bess could have been the man to spin England to victory. Um, and thinking about it, West Indies don't have too many left-handers in their no, batting line, do they? John Campbell. So they, yeah, with nobody bowling left arm over the wicket, you sort of think, yeah, that's that could have been a factor. And in actual fact, I didn't, I didn't think at any point, yeah, we could really do with Stuart Broad here. I actually thought. Sam Curran would have been a nice variation to have tried on that surface with his just maybe lack of pace and um, because pace didn't really do the do the job with the, the exception of Archer with the new ball on the final day it wasn't it wasn't about sheer pace you look how well Jason Holder bowled and um, and yeah Shannon Gabriel's a bit quicker he he bowled but it wasn't it wasn't his pace that was doing the damage um and actually yeah, yeah, Broad might have might have made a difference, um, but I don't. I don't think Broad not playing was the reason that England didn't win the Test match. Can I come on to the toss? Yeah, let, well, let's let's <laughs> move forward to the toss. Um, and you mentioned the weather forecast already, and it's basically five days rain, cloudy, sun, sun, sun was the five day forecast. Now, yes, okay. They knew it was going to be a dry pitch. And yeah, you probably didn't want to chase too many batting last on that. But look at how, look at those conditions on that first day. It was going to be stop start. And as soon as, as soon as the West Indies started bowling on it and it's hooping and well, ten, Dom ten, Sibley, ten Dom Sibley left, a, left a ball that was two feet outside his off stump, swung and knocked his off peg over. And you sort of think, yeah. Imagine Jimmy bowling in these conditions, and you knew what you knew what was coming. As soon as, yeah, it was rain interrupted that first day. As soon as the West Indies, um, sorry, England, are, England are all out. The sun comes out, 
and you could just see it unfolding and it it just frustrated me i mean i know nine times out of ten you win the toss you bat first in test cricket but look at the conditions and the weather forecast and it just felt england england should have skittled the west indies out for 150 let alone 200 and then batted for two days that was that was what they should have done yeah agree yeah, I have to be honest, I wasn't paying attention at the very start of the test. So I wasn't paying attention to the lineups and the and the toss. I switched it on about two balls into the first over and messaged the guys on WhatsApp and, and said, oh, we'd lost the toss then. Because that was just <laughs> my automatic assumption in those conditions that, that we must have lost it. Um, um, the West Indies batting lineup, whilst it performed very well or... I think it was allowed to perform very well in favourable conditions. In that, like you say, Adam, in in those circumstances on the first morning of a test match with Jimmy Anderson swinging it round corners potentially and Archer and Wood offering potentially some fire from the other end, we probably could have had them all out for less than what we achieved. And then that becomes the the first, first versus fourth innings debate again, doesn't it? It just doesn't make any sense to me that that whole that whole way of thinking and it kind of puts it in perspective when when you see what happened you know late on late on day four actually the yeah. other thing is as well with not being able to shine the ball with saliva i think was a factor so it it meant that those spells with the new ball were even more crucial and the best conditions to bowl within the entire match were on that first morning or afternoon or whenever they got started and it just it just felt a massive trick was missed and yeah and it actually actually the West Indies batting in the fourth innings once the ball got old it was still pretty tame and knocking off those yeah they made it hard for themselves by um poor old John Campbell getting hit on the foot and then three early wickets um, but actually, once the new ball lost its shine, it was pretty straightforward. I'm not saying it was a routine chase, but it could have it could have been tricky, but it wasn't. Yeah, Pat, what are you? Uh, what were your thoughts early on as the as the test got started? Yeah, it it was a baffling decision when it was made, and over the morning session, it just the 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 bafflingness just just underlined with how the game was performing. I don't think it's the sole reason England lost the test, but it's a massive contributor when you look at the overall flow of things, just getting a series off to with, with that level of momentum. It's, it's... Okay. Let's go on, Rich. It's, it's always a on. pressure thing, isn't it? That's, that's the thing you, you think if you, if you, and, and we saw this with England, you get bowled out for a low total in the first innings. They then put up a decent total in the second innings that always puts pressure on your second innings if you're batting first after after being skittled out for not very much and that's that's the thing for me is i would much rather be take that gamble on batting last knowing that as long as you take advantage of those conditions in the first day you should be putting up a very very good total in your second inning in your first innings to then defend the only slight caveat i'd have with that is England have been notoriously bad at bowling first in bowler-friendly conditions. I remember we 
there was a couple of times, especially at Lords, we've done it on a proper green. I remember playing here. We we played India uh, maybe five years ago or so. We had a, a green top at Lords on a Thursday morning. It was overhead overcast, and Broad and Anderson just bowled too short, pretty much for the first well first session at least. And you know, I think it was maybe Rehani went on to score a ton that day. And it was just like, you know, we, we don't seem to bowl well when the conditions are in our favour. But we didn't Lord... bowl well in that first that first innings anyway. We we bowled consistently too short, back of a length, didn't really threaten them in a way that they'd threatened us in the first in their first innings. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't think we've learned that lesson. That's bang on. I mean the and the toss doesn't matter what you do with the toss if you if you bowl that poorly, um, yeah, whether you're bowling first or first or second. Let's have a quick chat before we go and start talking about England's batting woes and what we think can uh, can do to improve. Obviously, Joe Root will be coming back for Old Trafford this week. What have you? What did you make of the performance of Messrs. Illingworth and Kettleborough? <laughs> um, what a pair of Richards! Wow, an absolute pair of Richards, as you will as you will see. But he, well, the the pair of them. Can, can you can you give an excuse? Can you give rustiness for an umpire as an excuse when we you're just debate, watching? Just know. watching a game. You're just watching it. You stood there. Your eyes don't move. Yeah, you know it doesn't. The game doesn't change, right? But in the first day and a half well no day and a half of play so discount the, the the stuff that wasn't there on day one in the first day and a half of play the amount of reviews overturned the amount of poor decisions i mean when england finally got going on on day two um when they finally got the ball in hand uh, anderson had was it two or three Reviews overturned. LBW's given and overturned in that evening session, um, to the point where it made me. It actually made me search. I bet people will be accusing these umpires of racism, um, and I did. I looked on Twitter. Well, they they ended up being equally incompetent towards both, both sides, teams. as it oh, turned absolutely. out. Um, it got to the point where actually the West Indies blew a couple of reviews. I think because they were they were just in the habit of reviewing decisions because they were all terrible uh, i think one one actually just went 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 the wrong way because oh well they, 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 reviewed, they probably they cocked up again one. they reviewed one for a no but they actually reviewed one for a no ball well, even though don't need if, to do absolutely yeah. yeah and that's a whole different thing fuck the, i mean we've talked about the no ball umpires giving no balls and stuff uh, I, I i still believe that that should be taken out of the uh the umpire's hands and made a a third umpire job just quickly what rock it back so no ball bowl that one again sunshine so everything stands bowl it again it's easy easily done um now that they look back and and cancel the wicket anyway what you know what's the difference to just making bowl it again if uh they can have a replay in the background it it, it would take one man looking at one camera and you could put a beep in the umpire's ear. I don't. Yeah. I don't see how the ICC can't do this. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what I was doing, but oh yeah, there was a there was a couple of West Indians. One basically cut one to 
backward point and reviewed it. Um, <laughs> there was a couple of, of really of really poor reviews. Um, England were very very guilty again of taking wickets with no balls. Obviously, Archer, yeah, Joffre did it. Someone else did it. Stokes, Stokes did it yesterday with Darwich. Yeah. We got him out next ball. Um, it just it's unforgivable. I do not. I really don't understand how they can do it so often. I don't, I just don't, I, I don't, don't get it. Go on, Rich. I almost feel like those two points sort of feed into each other. So if they had umpire, like an off field umpire calling those no balls every time they did them, bowlers would get used to like having to just move back from the line a little bit. So they don't have as much, you know, they're not always on that edge. And if you're not always on that edge, you're going to see far, far fewer balls taking wickets and then getting overturned. You'd think having a key massive wicket chalked off in the middle of a test match would be incentive, wouldn't you? I would. <laughs> but it's it's rhythm, isn't it? You get into that rhythm of this is how I'm bowling in this spell. And if no, you're not I'm really not, paying not, attention not to your own it. front foot... One day, one day cricket, for some reason, the free hit or disincentive works. Why that works and the incentive of that happening doesn't in a test match. I do not know. I do not understand it. Rhythm is bullshit. Just start your run up from a foot further back. It's not yeah. difficult. And also he's like, a professional sportsman. You know, it's it's oh well forget like how many wickets do we see chalked off because of no balls. We see an inordinate amount because they are so close. Um Imagine the amount of runs, the amount of extras, the amount of extra balls. I reckon part of me thinks that the reason they won't do it is because in those first couple of test matches, <laughs> they'll never get the overs in. You'd just be getting 12 <laughs> ball overs all yeah. the time. But they'd have, to, they'd have to work it out pretty D, PDQ, wouldn't they? But, but so, would the, so would the bowlers. I, d- I don't know. That's what I mean, I, the bowlers. Yeah, I think... I, I don't know how I blame more the bowlers themselves or the authorities for not kind of addressing this i think i'd like to say i blame them both yeah equally and i'm not even going to go 50 50 because they both deserve 100 percent of the blame 100 <laughs> percent of the time so i'm giving out 200 percent worth of blame i like week. i like that i like that <laughs> um let's uh let's move on to england's batting woes um, 204 all out in the first inning 67.3 overs yes there were overheads yes the West Indies bowled very well. You know, we'll, we'll give them that. But Jason Holder bowling wicket to wicket, it's between 78 and 81 miles an hour, um, not really moving the ball off the seam, but just being metronome, almost, uh, I don't want to say McGrath-like in his accuracy, but he was like metronomic in the way that he was he was bowling in the same place and he almost bored England to death and I don't know he, what it is he is a phenomenal cricketer a phenomenal cricketer he's quiet he's quietly kind of yeah. made his way yeah absolutely uh, if every every facet of his game his head his batting his captaincy his bowling is just downright impressive yeah I mean in that first innings Dom Dom Sibley aside uh, bold Gabriel with the tenth ball of the innings. I mean, you could kind of forgive him for leaving that ball. <laughs> it, he, he, I, I'm pretty sure he left it on length as well as width, and it just clipped the, the top of off stump. 
you know, you've been waiting for months and months and months to get out in the middle of a test match and you shoulder arms so much that delivery i can't it was like it was like the one that michael clark left in the 2005 that simon jones is reversing it this wasn't reverse this was this was a new ball i've never again Um, those conditions on that first morning yeah absolutely i'm gonna skip the next one for a second uh rory burns lbw around the wicket to gabriel uh he thought he was going down leg side he did get a a long way across i mean rory burns is is a long-term option for us I, i i really like the way he plays i like the way i like what he does i like the way he goes about it uh he's dogged he's got a bit about him which i really really like i mean all things about his technique aside we can uh, we can all agree that he's the future of England, sort of number one opening the opening the batting. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I totally agree. I, I briefly had a look at options, and and what I came up with is got to be Rory Burns plus one at the top of the order. I don't know who that one is, but I I sort of love watching him bat for the idiosyncrasies that you get with him. Just it's it's sort of fun to watch and see bowlers getting slightly agitated with how much he's moving around and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that he gets compared to see Steve Smith for that. And it's Steve Smith actually is a lot more still at the moment of delivery than Rory Burns is, but I don't, I still don't care because it's effective for him. Yeah. You can't, you can't, we know by now not to judge someone on how, just on how easy on the eye they are. Otherwise, it would be. Otherwise, Mark Ramprakash would have played 400 Test matches and he still wouldn't have retired. Yeah, um, Burns is it? I think. I mean, for me, I'll, I'll go into why in a little bit. But I, th- I think our top four should be at, as it will be in the next Test match for the next two years. I just think, regardless of what happens, this just needs to happen. And just leave it there. I don't see any point in making any changes. Just say, right, you're our guys. Go and do it. Um, Zach Crawley batted it four in the, in the absence of Joe Root. Played across uh, a straight one from from Holder, um, which he fully corrected in the second innings. And I thought he was exceptional. The way he batted uh, on Sunday uh, and all, um, was was fantastic. Sorry, on Saturday. He uh, he took everything that that came at him, and if it wasn't for uh, that leading edge to to Joseph, which caused the the monumental collapse, uh, typically England collapse <laughs> on uh, on Saturday evening, we would have uh, we would have been home and dry. We at least with at least with a draw. Um, Stokes is different class, absolutely. I mean, probably our best batsman. At the moment, our best player. He makes things happen with the ball. He, uh, I thought he had a decent game as captain to toss aside. I thought he, I thought he had a decent game. I mean, I don't know if you guys got any comments on his captaincy, on his decision making. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing about the captaincy for me is knowing when to bowl yourself as an all-rounder captain in the field. And I'm not sure we saw enough of him with the ball in hand. We don't when he's not captain. Yeah, and I, I guess that's kind of understandable because you've got other things to be concentrating on when you're in that position. But he needs a, a deputy to kind of push him forward and say, right, we need a spell from you now, Skip. Come on, take this on. And and when he's doing that, I think that you should just relinquish the captaincy. Like, just say to, to Joss Butler or to Jimmy Anderson or to whoever, 
you know, Rory Burns, maybe I could, because going back to Rory Burns, I can see him potentially being an England captain. Um, I, I don't have numbers or actual stats to back this up, but I reckon 90, 95% of test cricket captains over the years have been batsmen or at least batting all rounders. And there's yeah. a reason for that. Yeah. Um, 100%. And I, can, I can't think of, I can't think of too many great captains who've been bowlers. Courtney Walsh, but he only for a small part of his career. I, I, I'm struggling. It just they just haven't they just haven't happened. There you yeah. go. That's that's got Imran Imran Khan. Was he more of a bowling yeah. all rounder, batting all round? It's a difficult yeah, one. Maybe. Kumble did it for a bit for India, but I think maybe a spin bowler is a bit different. Yeah, I don't. You're right. You don't yeah. see many genuine fast bowlers, mate, being. Being captains, maybe it's yeah, maybe Sean, it's Sean the, Pollock's just come to me, but again, yeah, maybe it's the patient, maybe it's kind of the the patience that that batsmen should offer in in a lot of circumstances, but that, that isn't always the case. A la Kevin Peterson, uh, <laughs> okay, you know, well, ill fated, yes. Um, but anyway, uh, Stokes is a Stokes is an exceptional an exceptional talent, and uh, you know. It, absolute rock in that middle order i i almost think that's why he shouldn't be considered as an england captain or stepping in as an england captain is because he does have so much going on that i'd rather he was concentrating on that and have someone in even though from a personality perspective he's obviously got to be top one or two choices i i think it, it it's one of those things you look at various England captains over the years who have gone into captaincy being incredibly solid batsmen getting you know good averages going and then they become a captain and of course you've got all these other things that you have to do rather than just working on your batting and I wonder whether doing that as an all-rounder can be I mean obviously you've got the Botham exceptions and people like that but very few that can Botham never made it as a captain or not a successful one that's true yeah, nor did, actually, nor did Pinsoff. I mean, I think you're dead right. And this discussion happens with ev- every single captain. Uh, def- Sir Alistair Cook, Joe Root, there was always always these question marks about captaincy aff- affecting their batting form. And I, I totally agree with you. For an all-rounder, it's one more thing. One more thing that they've got to think about and concentrate on. And for someone who's, who's key to the team, as Stokes is, with bat and ball, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, I and I think as well, Russ, you were right. I think he had a a great performance as captain. The toss aside, um, but yeah, it's not worth it's not worth the no, risk. Um, and, absolutely. And we've got it. We've yeah, we've debated Joe Root's captaincy in the past, and but I don't. This isn't the time to move on. No, um, no, the time absolutely. Cup, of course. Yeah, I think after the Ashes. The next Ashes, I think, it will, if we go down there and lose like we have been losing the last couple of times we've been to Australia, I think that would probably be time or spell the, the end to Joe Root. I mean, I, I didn't realise, and this was on TMS, Joe Root is the is the third most captained England captain behind Sir Alistair Cook and Michael Acton. He's really? already captained that many Test matches. Wow. Would you believe? Come around quick, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's in the low, the low four these days. The low, yeah, absolutely. He's in the low 40s now, I think. Um, and 
Michael Atherton was like 40. I think Joe Root's like 41. Michael Atherton, 43. And Sir Alistair Cook only captained England for like 48 or 49 test matches. So Joe Root will be England's most captain test captain, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Everyone that does it comes away from it mentally shot, don't they? Yeah. You can really well, tell. Apart- yeah, I was so, say, Sir Alistair Cook. And well, he, even even he would admit that he was, and it it puts it's not just the pressure of a five day test match; it it takes over your life. Yeah, you know, you've got all the extra media commitments, all the, all the everything that goes with it. And Although it's, you it's, do see now, you do see now a lot of the media. The media is shared a lot more around the team, isn't it? Like a different player every day and all that sort of stuff. It's not just the captain that's the ca- at the end of the match and before the match is the captain that talks, but. You know, outside of that, the, the captain's responsibility has been a little bit relinquished. Um, England... so other, it's selection. There's also yeah. all sorts of things that they they have to do that other players don't. Dro- dropping down the order a little bit. Um, it's six. We've got Ian Bell. Uh, sorry, Ollie Pope. <laughs> <laughs> so that is uh, basically it's like a Scooby Doo film, isn't it? <laughs> like you can you could take take Ollie Pope's mask off it'd be like Mission Impossible and under there is, is Ian Bell still banging out cover drives I mean to be honest I wouldn't mind seeing it I've but, with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Pope I mean he didn't have the best of games he showed in South Africa I think what he can do and uh, I think he is he's a shoe in there for the next however long I, again I don't see any reason or anybody really that can offer the sort of stroke making ability that he has in in that middle order and him and Stokes seem to bat together really well and I just like you know I like the way he operates he came in on the in that first innings hit two beautiful yeah cover drive and a, and a, a sort of a midwit uh, a clip through mid wicket off of holder um managed to get out in the same over I think but uh it looked amazing like so Ian Bell like looked incredible <laughs> for the time Sexy, he was there. yeah um, I don't know if you're about to move on to the wicketkeeper, which does need a discussion. But before you do, Russ, can I can I tell you what I think about the England batting lineup? Yes. Well, I was going to I was going to oh, drop you? back down the bat. I was going to drop back down the batting order in a second. So if you just okay. hang on for two minutes, um, we're going to talk about Joss Butler and Ben Folks. Um, Butler's keeping was rusty. Mm-hmm. Should we say? I mean, the drop off of Blackwood down the leg side, it was a tough chance. Apparently, that was his chance. first drop in about two years. Yeah. I mean, and, and impressive. Wicket keeping is a hard skill to, you can train, you can net as a batsman, you can get overs in as a bowler, but keeping all day when you haven't kept for so long must, must be diff, something different. Um, I still, I mean, I still think Ben Folks is the best gloveman uh, in the country. I think now James Foster has retired. That I, is a that fact. Is, that is a fact. Um, uh, but Josh, Josh Butler is such a talented cricketer. He has got so much ability that can he make can he make it work in in Test cricket? See that that's the issue for me is there's he's not always going to make big run scores but those big run scores that he makes in crucial moments you you can't drop him for his batting so the question then becomes can't you, do you t- can't you 
Well, I you say that he's, he's he's averaging thirty. Yeah, but that's my point. He doesn't necessarily make those big scores all the time. That it's it's those. It, you can think of crucial innings where he's come in and just taken the game away from someone else. So Joss Butler has play, played forty-two Test matches. Um, he he hasn't. He's not made a half century since the Oval last summer, where he made seventy. So that includes New Zealand away, South Africa away, and this Test match just gone. Um, he, yeah, he averages thirty-one point four six, and it's it's front-loaded when you look at his list of scores. Um, the last six Test matches: forty-three noughts, twelve, twenty-two, twenty-nine, twenty-three, one did not bat, twenty-eight, thirty-five, and nine. It's it it's not what fact. Adam Gilchrist used to do. Yeah, I think it comes down to the fact wicket keeping is such a crucial position. You want to pick your best wicket keeper there and not make a compromise to get a few more runs on the board because taking those wickets consistently is more important than like 30 or 50. I agree. And if you um, do make that compromise, you've got to have a lot more runs. What I will back, say, yeah. what I will say is that you've hit the nail on the head there, Adam, is you made the comparison to Adam Gilchrist there. Adam Gilchrist played in one of the best, if not the best test team. And I, I use obviously the, the, there's been lots of great teams, but consistently that Australia team of the 19, nine, mid late nineties through to 2005 um, was probably the best test team ever assembled. And the best team in all sports, virtually. That he, so I just think, that he he's in a team that is is struggling a lot of the time. So so it's a reliance upon runs. You you look at how many runs Matt Pryor made. How many how, Matt Pryor made some rear guard action a couple of times. I remember obviously was it Christchurch or Auckland um, where he or, where he battled with Monty at the end. Yeah yeah. Um, but but how many times did Matt Pryor make big runs when others before him had made big runs? Especially in like if you look back to ten, eleven, um, and I, and I just think it's easier. It's easy to to sing not single out Butler, but it's easy to to pick holes in Joss Butler when when others around him are struggling. He's yeah, he's batting at number seven. He, he's a keeper yeah. batsman. If he averages thirty, for me, you know, if every, if everybody ahead of him is is doing their job as it should be, he can comfortably average thirty thirty five and and be a good gloveman. He's he is a good gloveman. Don't I mean, the Gilchrist comparison isn't fair. Of course, it's not for the reasons that you rightly say. But he he would have. I can think of a couple of occasions at least that he got Australia out of a big hole uh, when the pressure would be on and it did occasionally happen but you're right I mean you can't it's unfair and there's no there's no way of knowing if you flip Matt Pryor and Joss Butler around into each other's teams how they both fare yeah um it's it's not as simple as that there's there's, and and it's also not to say Ben Folkes hasn't really scored a run in the county championship since he came into the side in Sri Lanka being an excellent player of spin. He's not played a test match since he scored. What did he score? 200s on that tour. Um, 
he hasn't played a test match since. He's probably barely scored a run since in county championship cricket. And everyone's saying, well, this guy needs to be in the test team. I don't I don't understand the clamour for it personally. But but there you go. Um go on, Rich. So I I do think there's a question mark over I I think there's partly a question mark over if you just have Butler in there for his runs, do we start to see an up uptick in his average because he's not having to concentrate so much on the glove work? Butler doesn't play as a batsman. Right. So in my in my opinion. Well not not right now he doesn't in his with his current form. I mean no, but they've tried but I don't I don't even think that's the issue with him. And it with others it probably has been it it certainly was at times with Alex Stewart, um which not towards the end of his career, but at the start it was. Uh, but I don't think that's the problem. I think it's 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 like he doesn't quite know whether to stick or stick. twist when he's batting. Like he, in one day cricket, it's easy because it's it's very obvious what his job is, what he's got to do, um, and largely it's hit the ball as far as he can, <laughs> as often as he can. Um, but even in situations where it's it's a tricky run chase, you know how you. You know, they're well prepared enough to know what's how to sort of pace in innings in one day cricket. In test matches, it's not it's not as clear to him. And he seems to and I think Pryor struggled with this at, weirdly the other way around. Pryor seemed to struggle to pace a one day innings. Yeah. Um but, but, but Butler does, doesn't seem to know whether to block or go after the bowling. And he's sort of caught in this in between I mean we, yeah. he of course he has a talent. We know that. All we have to do is look at the way if he if he was to go to think about the way that Ben Stokes has developed his game. You remember Ben Stokes? Everyone was saying, "Oh my God!" Like he had everything, especially in the one day team and in the Test team, and he just used to get out in the most stupid of ways all the time, just going for it and just being, you know, ultimately really aggressive. And then in the last eighteen months, that World Cup final innings with Butler, ironically. Um, you know, for when they got when they got the the, the team close, um, the Headingley, what what um, Stokes did there, Butler, Josh Butler could learn that level of mental application that Ben Stokes has yeah. shown because Ben Stokes never used to have that, or he has developed that, or you would say he always had it, but he developed it. You know, Butler could do that and still be the same player he is. Um, but that that's a again a discussion for another day. Whether whether they bring folks in for one of these test matches, I don't think it would make any difference to the team overall. Um, it, it's it's the same it's the same dynamic. Um, Don Bess, I think uh, I really like Don Bess. Uh, he's gritty. He's got he's got something about him, and that thirty odd in the first innings really, you know, dragged England over that two hundred mark, kicking and screaming, um, and then would. Uh, Archer Anderson, who we talked about. Um, let's. I know you. Let's go on to the subject you want to talk about, Adam. Um, England's top order, likely top order for uh, for um, for Old Trafford. <laughs> Joe Root is coming back. So uh, tell me who misses out. All right. Somebody said when we started talking about this about England's batting woes. Now, see, he, the thing is, six months ago that was. Well, maybe closer to a year ago, after the Ashes, that seemed to be a big, massive issue. 
the problem with the team was the batting and the fragility. And we went to New Zealand and South Africa and put a lot of that to bed. Now, Burns had the stupid um, playing rugby or football or whatever it was. He had that injury and missed out and on most of the South African series. So we had Crawley went to the top of the order, didn't he? Battered with Sibley and they did really well. And we had Cape Town in particular sticks in the mind of a dominant performance with the bat, building a test innings properly. Um, and we seem to have, I think, I, I don't think actually this match says we've stepped backwards in any regard. I think that this side does have the ability to do that and we've proved that. So we've come a long way in the last 12 months with our batting. Um, and Sibley, Crawley, who got a few more runs in the second innings. He hasn't got that big hundred yet, um, but I feel like he's got it in him. Uh, Burns at the top of the order is, yeah, he's fairly inked in at the moment. That's fine. Um, Root's coming back. So I, I've, I've got four people who seem to deserve a spot right now. All, I mean, Joe Root's the captain, obviously. The other three are relatively young. Um, there's this other 34-year-old guy who's kicking about. Now, <laughs> averages 29 in test matches and I, I mean it's really frustrating when you have and he's trying to do it in the right way he's trying to build an inning slowly in fact every time he comes to the crease regardless of the situation he'll be 10 off 60 deliveries um and we had that we had we had a problem with nick compton a few years back who who i actually did he got a couple of hundreds early on in his career and then he got stuck in this sort of I'm too cautious to play properly and he'd just he'd go nowhere and then end up just getting himself out. Um Joe Denley, I if if he was twenty two, I'd get it. I get the point of sticking with because he's 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 a good player. We know that. Um, but he's he seems to be stuck in this mental rut of yes he could do the the hard work and be twenty five off eighty deliveries, um, but if you can consistently get to twenty five not out of eighty deliveries, you've got to convert some of these scores. And it's not like it's an isolated incident. It's not like he hasn't been doing the same thing for the last twelve months. Did, and did you, you know? Say, sorry. Did you know in, in the 15 test matches that Joe Denley has played for England, he has 18 scores of between 10 and 39? That seems like a lot. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, that's what he's doing. And I, I mentioned Mark Ramprakash earlier in jest, but that's what Ramprakash used to do in between a few flashy innings. It, when Ramprakash burst on the scene, it was like, this is look at this guy bat it's phenomenal and you can say that a bit about Denley because he's he can play some nice nice looking strokes um nice looking technique it's it ticks all those boxes but then Ramprakash got stuck in this mental trap of I need to convert these things into big scores how do I do that let's knuckle down and then once he got himself in his head would get him out and I don't see over a 34 year old I don't see the point in waiting for him to snap out of this, which he may not do anyway. Yeah, I'm totally with you. It's time time to move away from this. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. (laughs) Um, You're really not sorry. With Joe Joe Root coming back, 
I don't, I don't see why any uh, anyone else in the batting lineup should miss out, and why Joe Denley should play another Test match. So who opens? Uh, you would uh, Sibley. Same, same Burns two. and Sibley. Burns and Sibley. Yeah. Crawley seems, at three. Seems reasonable. Crawley, uh, I mean, the Root at three debate's been going on for what seems like 20 years. Um, Crawley four. at three, maybe. Root at four. Crawley, Crawley has shown he could open the batting in South Africa. Right. Yeah, yeah. He's shown he batted at four in this test match. I don't see any reason why, as an opening batsman, you shouldn't also be able to bat number three. It's exactly the same job, because you could be in after the second ball, or you could be in after, you know, 100 overs. And he had Unlikely. a really good knock. In a situation where you occupying the crease was just as important as scoring runs, he had a really good knock in our second and innings. He looks like he's got a method as well. And I hear this on TMS. And I hear Michael Vaughan a lot talk about players who look to have a method. And Dominic Sibley, yes, he, he kind of steps across and he, there may be something without be about being bowled on his hip and getting caught down the leg side. Um, and he gets stuck a little bit against the spinner. But Zach Crawley looked to have a method against all of the, the West Indies bowling. He reverse swept Royce and Chase to go to um, to 50. He danced down and hit him over mid on early doors. He stepped back and he cut him. He was confident and, and solid, more so in the second innings, playing the, the straight ball from the from the quicks. He's He's tall, he's rangy. Um, and I think, you know, I think he's got a future. And this is why when I said earlier, if we're going to prepare a test team to go to Australia in 18 months time, then regardless of what happens between now and then, don't do the trap that we fell into with Alistair Cook's um, partners once Andrew Strauss retired. Let's not have a revolving door. Let you know, I hate the phrase we'd rather give somebody one too many than one too few. That's just bullshit. What you need to say is, you know what, you you four, but Stokes, you're our guys, injury barring, you're our guys. We see you as the future of this test team. They're young enough, they've got enough about them to, to drive that forward. And then you add the stroke making ability of Ollie Pope. You know, they're trying to, I think at some point they're going to try and shoehorn Tom Banton into into this test team. Um, far there's too been early. Talk, there's been talk, Dan Lawrence as well. There's been, but, yeah. You know, I, I don't see, I think we're all in agreement that Who was Joe, Root, Joe Roots comes back. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, no, there aren't any other changes. It's just one change in the batting. Okay, four of us here. Um, who does Joe Root, whose place does Joe Root take quickly? Joe Denley. Rich. Yeah, it's got to be. All right. So, but I don't think it will be. I think, I think you don't. That, I don't. I don't think that's what they'll do, and it, it's going to drive me nuts. So, then, what are if, they doing then? I can see them. I can see Crawley stepping aside or Sibley, and it'll be wrong. I nah. can see. I can see that happening because they seem to like Joe Denley, um, and the thought. The thought of Denley being the guy playing in the next Ashes just. It's not going to happen, mate. And and and, and now I hope is you're the time. Right. I, I think right. I think that that first the the opportunity that England had with Joe Root missing out for this Test match put those two in a in a straight fight. And by Crawley getting seventy six in that second innings, occupying the crease, score scoring at a fair lick, you know, 
bearing in mind the situation of the game, he wasn't stuck in. It wasn't seventy six off of two hundred balls. He but he I, I don't, By the way, I don't I don't mind that sort of innings if it's backed up by going on and making it count. That's yeah. that's but that's what's been missing. Yeah. And so you know, Sibley did it in South Africa, made it count. Crawley's yeah. done it. Yeah, it just seems obvious to me. I think my issue with Denley is is more just that he you know sometimes you get a feeling with a test batsman where you look at them and they they look Rampakash was this for me in in you know in his era you just look at them and you they're so frustrating you want them to show their true potential because you want them as an England fan you want them to succeed because then you've got you know a spot filled in that lineup that you feel comfortable with and he just feels like one of these batsmen that just at the moment where you think, oh, this might be the moment when he finally converts one. Oh, no, he's nicked it. <laughs> Just every Den- time. Then James was picked James as a stopgap, though. He's a stopgap that's outstayed his welcome. Yeah, yeah. And, t- and, now, and now Zach Crawley is don't the need him heir to that anymore. throne. Or yeah. such. Um, okay, let's, uh, let's move on. So are we, uh, we're agreeing, obviously, Stokes is staying. Um at five, Pope will stay at six. Butler, Butler keeps his place for the first Old Trafford game. Do you think they'll play Ben Folks, or do you think they'll give Butler this series and then the other series, the Pakistan series, to Folks? Because we've got these, we've got these ODIs coming up as well, haven't we? And there's talk of the, there's a whole different squad that's been picked, a 24-man squad for the ODIs, isn't there? I didn't see the squad. I don't know whether it contained Butler and Stokes and Root. I haven't even they're, that. They're all in these little bubbles, aren't they? So, um, but, Mate, but, you might but you stays. might be right. I don't. I don't think. I think Butler's. It's such a complicated issue which we've just discussed, and I like I like Ben Folks. I like him a lot, and it's back to back to what you were saying, Pat. I think that you know, if you've got to. You've got to at least do it with one or the other, uh, the gloves or the bat, and it it must be difficult because if you if you're picked, because but, Butler's not being picked because he's the best gloveman. We know that he knows that everybody knows that, so that puts pressure on you with the bat. I get that, so it's not it's never that straightforward. And and folks could come in and drop a catch. Yeah, it's, so it's just one of those. So England have picked a 24 man training group for the ODIs. Uh, against Ireland, which are in the middle of before the Pakistan Test Series. So we're playing the West Indies, then there's Ireland in ODIs, and then we're playing Pakistan in Test matches. But neither Stokes or Butler or Root are involved because they're two sort of separate bubbles. And then I guess once the Pakistan Test Series is out of the way and there's ODIs against Pakistan and Australia, I guess things might change for that. But yeah, there you go. And it is Saki Mahmood because he's in the one-day squad. Going back to Russ's question on do you give folks a series, I think if you go to folks, you go to him with the long-term view of we've decided he's the guy for... He he is Johnny, I'm the guy for the next (laughs) couple of years at that point. I don't think I don't think they can they can necessarily do that so much with the with the wicket keeper position because I think it's fluid. Out forever, no, no, exactly. Um, The other big though we haven't even mentioned. Yeah, well, probably for the best. Um, (laughs) 
let's just go into the bowling group. So, um, obviously, the bowling group of Bess, uh, Wood, Archer and Anderson played at Southampton. Uh, do you see those four playing at Old Trafford this week, Pat? You can see Anderson getting a rest. He looked pretty jaded fourth innings. Yeah, I, okay. I, I, I don't want to say this out loud. I don't think Anderson's very effective with anything but the new ball anymore. And I thought I thought this, and it's it's probably a bit unfair because he's we haven't seen that much fit James Anderson recently. Um, but oh, I, don't, I don't I don't like to think these things. If only if only we had um, swing friendly conditions when winning the toss on the first day of this <laughs> test match. <laughs> uh, but I think. I think I, I can I can see I think Pat's right I think Anderson could miss out directly for Broad. Yeah, yeah, and and actually potentially that might not be the only change. Either and one Wood of or Archer just to just to just squad rotation. Well, when you think it, these are three back to back Test matches, so three back to back Test matches would see potentially all of the bowlers, maybe even Ollie Stone getting a run out. I mean, no, there's been no mention of, of Ollie Stone. He's in that sort of tighter group, isn't he? He's a, a quick bowler. Um, he was mooted to get his debut uh, in New Zealand. Was it in New Zealand? And then he got injured. He had a back injury and wasn't he going to play inside? Play, did he play, play an Ashes test, he, didn't he? No, he didn't play time. an Ashes test. He played against Ireland, didn't he? Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, I think the, other than Stokes, none of the seamers will play, will play all three. No, they, may, they may have decided it already. They may have just just on a rotor basis. But do you, well, they, if they've decided it, they didn't tell Stuart Broad. <laughs> Fair <laughs> point. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe they have done that, and, and they are going to do some sort of squad rotation. It seems slightly pointless, um, but then playing back to back test matches, as I've mentioned. My, the, the likelihood that Mark Wood is going to go through all three of those test matches without breaking down is unlikely. Um, similarly for, for Jimmy Anderson and, you know, maybe for Joffrey Archer as well. He's had stress fractures and, and different bits and pieces. So it is likely that, that we'll see your, your friend, Chris Wokes, who I don't mind as much, you know, as much as you dislike I'd sooner, him. I'd sooner have Curran in the team for what it's worth, but I don't, I don't have a problem with that logic. Of him, of him getting a game because it's three back-to-back test matches when players aren't necessarily match fit as they would normally be. Yeah. You've got you've got to look after your fast bowlers. I also I also like the We've length the depth of our well. the length of our tail. Then if <laughs> if Wokes or Curran come in for one of those, you know. Oh, I thought for a second you meant you liked the length of our tail in a nostalgic. No, back to when Angus Brace was at number eight. That's yeah, (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah, um, Fraser, Tufnell, Malcolm, Watkin. (laughs) Wow, imagine imagine being six out all out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, to be fair, England England have have collapsed in a in a very similar manner pretty much ever since. Including included on Sunday Saturday yeah. afternoon. Was it two hundred two hundred and forty nine for five, and then three hundred and thirteen all out? Two two forty three for three. Uh, Actually, it's yeah. more the middle order than the tail in that on Saturday. Yeah. But um, 
I was I'm Shannon Gabriel's a favourite for me. You know, I th- we don't get enough proper tail enders anymore. Yeah. Like Chris Chris Martin for New Zealand was always a good bet, and it'd be it'd be entertainingly bad. Um, but I can't get Shannon Gabriel that shot he played against was in Pakistan. Pakistan. Last <laughs> ball of the match, <laughs> just just so good. Yasser Shah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even Jimmy Anderson is, is, is as much of a, a tail ender as he is a proper rabbit. He, you know, he's put up some rear guard action, isn't he? And he's he scored that eight. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be trying to hit the ball out the ground like Shannon Gabriel did that day. <laughs> Just unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, with, with Wokes or Curran coming in to the team, it's certainly, you know, we shouldn't be picking bowlers for their ability as batsmen. However... No, no. However, uh. <laughs> it has to be a consideration. And if they're going to play Bess um, over Moeen, I guess Moeen's done now because, as far as the test goes because he's in the, the white ball squad. Um, Bess and Leach are the only, the only spinners. I don't, see, I don't see them doing anything other than, than picking Don Bess. So, you know. It's yeah, he hasn't, done, he hasn't done anything wrong, has he? And it's not. You don't need to rotate him like you do with, the and quits. you can't be, you can't be expected to spin a team out on a fourth on a fifth day pitch, which is actually a fourth day pitch when you've only got two hundred to to defend. No, so. agree, agree. It was that wasn't on him at all. No. Um. So that's it. We're seeing we're seeing some changes. We think there'll be some rotation, um, and hopefully England can bounce back at Old Trafford, the uh, the West Indies COVID home. Bounced back. Uh, hopefully Michael Vaughan uh, won't lose his keys in his car or in the pitch. <laughs> he needed them for the pitch report at the weekend, locked them in his boot. Do you know what uh, we are, Russ? What's that mean? We're a cricket podcast that's called the West Indies by their proper name. We did. Every single occasion. Every single occasion. Not one of us at any point referred to them as a, don't, a, don't say abbrevi- an abbreviated... Don't say version of uh, the West Indies where they've been conjoined and letters removed I just don't like it I don't even know why I couldn't even explain to you why it's we had we had a, a whatsapp chat about this and you did you say it first and I just immediately yeah 100% agree I, I, it, for some reason it just grates and it's like it's like use of the word batter yeah oh batters i hate batters batters for fish um i'd <laughs> like baseball i'm hoping i'm hoping during one of these west indies tests that i nearly did it then subconsciously without even thinking um <laughs> and that would have been horrific it's in um, your head that we'll get craig I'd, I'd like to get craig on to talk about some cricket because i know his dad is a is a very staunch West Indian man, isn't he? He supports the the West Indian cricket team. Am I right in in saying that, or um, have I just made that up from somewhere? Well, his family, I think, are from Dominica. Yeah. Uh, I I hope I've got that right. Apologies, Craig, if I haven't. He won't it's listen this far, if <laughs> at right, all. You're right. He won't listen to it until he's on it. <laughs> he wouldn't even, even then. Listen to it even then. <laughs> but we, you know, we'll get Craig on to chat some uh, West Indian cricket if he knows anything about it. Um, and yeah, maybe maybe get his view on on how this series and, and the way they represent 
the West Indies uh, currently compared to the days of yore, the days gone by. Uh, they... What's your favourite days? <laughs> <laughs> yore gone don't by. <laughs> don't even know where Probably. I was going with that. That's why I had to make a joke. I had to bunk out of it quick. <laughs> it was potential in that, but yeah. Right, let's go anyway. Um, Pat, Rich, thanks for joining us on the uh, the long leg. Um, hopefully, we'll get you back on soon. Um, again, another test match this week, Old Trafford Thursday. Hopefully, England can do a little bit better, and uh, maybe we'll we'll get together and talk some more cricket afterwards on a, uh, a Joe Denley free zone. Uh, <laughs> go well. Pleasure. All the best, guys. Well. Yes.